0: We all need heroes. People don't have to be interested in aviation to be inspired by somebody who's done something great. Look at this person who came from a background like yours, who looks like you, who might be the same gender, the same, a similar background, whatever. You can aspire to do great things. How do we get the lives of these people in front of kids where it's most important and where the kids can be lifted by them?
1: hi and welcome to the when women fly podcast where we speak with women who dare to pursue their dreams and fly literally and metaphorically if you are only just discovering the when women fly podcast welcome we explore the intersection of flying and culture and community with women who share a passion for flight we learn a lot along the way you can relate to the inexplicable allure of freedom taking flight measuring risk, falling, rising, perspective. So stick around. In a world that tells women they're too much or too little, too timid or too bold, it's easy to feel boxed in, pitched by walls built by other people. We're here to change the narrative. I am your host, Sylvia Winter, a pilot, creative, mother, runner, wife, and apparently podcaster. In this week's episode, I talk to Amy Spowart, she became the first female president and CEO of the National Aviation Hall of Fame in 2019. She's a tireless leader in aviation, a marathon runner, mom, and an advocate for diversity and equity in aviation. We talk about her 23 years at the Hall of Fame and how she got there from a rural Pennsylvania upbringing. What happened when she fell in love with travel but not flying? Embracing the future by creating a nationally recognized adaptive program, including a wildly successful educational program partnered with the PBS to develop a STEAM based curriculum during COVID. This is a phenomenal conversation about honoring history and writing her story, about breaking barriers and what it means to write the story of our past through the people who carved the way. And perhaps most importantly, It's about curiosity, self-belief, and the power of the human story to change lives. So without further delay, let's jump into my conversation with Amy Spowart. Amy, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
0: I'm thrilled to be here, Sylvia. Thank you so much for having me.
1: I'd love to start with your background. Can you tell us about the circumstances and what you were like as a kid, who influenced you, and what influenced you?
0: Sure. I um, grew up in uh, central Pennsylvania, uh, not far from State College, uh, yay Penn State, but just very uh, rural. Nobody in my family ever flew. Nobody in my family went to college. It was a lot of playing in streams and climbing trees, but I always knew I wanted to get out. I always knew I wanted something bigger. I didn't want to stay in the small place. I always wanted to see the world. So as I got older, I began to look for opportunities. I never thought that I would go to college. I I just thought that that's what rich people did and people not like me, but I always wanted it. So once I left the small town and and did crazy things like I lived in Pittsburgh for a little while. And I lived in a Jewish neighborhood called Squirrel Hill. And it was the first time I'd ever not had Christmas trees around me. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me why there were no Christmas trees. And then I lived in St. Louis and um, actually worked at Lambert Field and would watch the airplanes, but never flew on any. But it was the first time I was ever around a an African-American community where I was often the minority and all these things expanded my mind a lot. And then finally, I met my to-be husband while I was living in Pittsburgh and we ended up moving to Cambridge, England. He is British and um, did his PhD at Cambridge. And so while he was working on that, I was a travel agent. So I was able to kind of start seeing the world and just Knowing that there was a world beyond it, and I gained this appreciation and love of history. So when we ended up moving to Dayton, Ohio, he started working at Wright Patterson Air Force Base, and I started college. And that's where everything that I had learned over the past sort of four years after high school kind of took off, and my mind blew. And so I came to the National Aviation Hall of Fame just by chance, at wanting to be a historian. I, that was in 1999.
1: That's so interesting. So you actually lived abroad with just your high school diploma. You became a travel agent. Because you love to travel, it didn't, doesn't sound like you had a whole lot of travel experience yourself.
0: So growing up, my parents, well, still to this day, my parents have never flown. They've never been on a plane and maybe only came to the airport during all my travels, maybe once. But I always knew that to experience the world, I would have to fly. I would have to get on an airplane. When I was about 20 or 21, I took a flight from, I want to say it was actually Dayton, Ohio to St. Louis was my very first flight. It wasn't that I was hooked on flying, it's that I was hooked on traveling. But after that, and then going to England and, and thinking, okay. I did a short flight. Now I've done a long flight. Now I want surely this is the world, and what's the best way to see the world? And that would that was to be a travel agent. So, being a travel agent in England, it was great because I gained this geography knowledge that was just unparalleled. I got to experience all different kinds of people, but I didn't get paid a lot. But for I think eighty pounds, I went to Paris for a weekend, and for eighty pounds. Uh, during a fam trip, I spent 10 days uh, touring the southern coast of India. I rode bareback in the rainforest on an elephant. And I went to the Caribbean, which is a very long way from uh, England. And doesn't sound like a big deal in America, but it was a big deal from England and Egypt and Mauritius and like all these places that I I was able to, to get to and experience. And so I brought that love of travel and love of the world back with me and combine that with a love of history. And here I am.
1: Yeah. Wow. And you've told me that there were specific things that you were studying that opened up the world for you. Can you describe that to us?
0: Yeah. So when I started at Wright State University in Dayton, I wanted to get a degree in history. And Typically, when people do history, especially Americans, they kind of focus on their own history. We don't really think about humanity's been around a long time. There's a lot of history, whether it's written or not. I was taking probably 20th century history, and I for one of my prerequisites, I took a, a class in classics pretty early in my college career, and it blew my mind. It changed everything. Once I heard that there was an actual study of the foundations of Western civilization, there was nothing else I wanted to do. So I started studying the classics and especially I really took to the Roman part of it and that there was a civilization that could take great things that came before them, that being the Greeks, then build on it and make it better. So I started doing classics and ancient history two degrees simultaneously because they're very complementary. You know, I was able to throw in some public history classes, and that's what I was actually able to use here at the Hall of Fame. I gained this love of great people, this love of the knowledge that where we are today as people is only because of the people that came before, that while we think we're the best, that the technology that we have today is the best, and that everything that we're doing is. superior than anything else. I completely disagree with that, that because it's relative, it's all relative. And so who's to say that Apollo 11 is better than the right B flyer? I'd say you'd never have Apollo 11 without the right B flyer. And so we say the internet is the greatest thing ever developed, but I'm like, what about the great wall of China? What about the pyramids? How did they do that? How did they build these things without what we have at our fingertips today? it's not better. It is because it was.
1: Yeah. So it seems like by understanding the context in which we are in this moment really shifted the way that you think of role models and sort of individuals, but also sort of the collective and how that is our history in a sense. So then tell us what you do now.
0: Yes. So my first Hall of Fame in was in 1999 as a volunteer. And I was surrounded with, I mean, John Glenn, Robin Olds, Neil Armstrong, Scott Crossfield. And I got to be honest, except for the bigger names, I didn't know who half these people were. But then as I got to hear Robin Olds, I'm like, that guy's amazing. Why doesn't the world know about Robin Olds and Scott Crossfield? I mean, the thing that makes people today different test pilots and, and across all industries, what makes people different today than they were, say, during Scott Crossfield and the X-15 project is that those people could have died any second. And Blue Origin isn't going to send four civilians up in an aircraft risking everything has a risk. But I mean, every time we get in an aircraft, there's a risk, but there's so many controls in place to ensure that your transportation is safe these people from the Wright brothers up until, what, 20 years ago, they could have died every single time. And they did it anyway. And I remember saying to, it was an Apollo, it must have been Walt Cunningham. And I said, Walt, weren't you afraid? You saw what happened at a, during Apollo 1, which if the listeners don't know, is, is the capsule that exploded on the, on the pad that there was a problem with the door. And it didn't explode, it caught fire and, and the three astronauts inside um, perished. But I'm like, the folks that got on the pad next, you know, Walt, weren't you afraid? And he was like, we're just doing our job. I hardly want to drive a car that hasn't been tested or I'm so inspired and motivated by these people. And, and I want to make sure that the rest of the world gets to be inspired by motiv- and motivated by them as well. Whether you're a, a, a veteran who appreciates or a student who wants to see Mars and and you don't know who to go to or where to
1: go. So given the aviation Illuminati that you know on a first name basis, what do you think drives their vision for greatness and change and and also sort of what what is it that allows them to see fear as fuel as opposed to like you just described, like sort of the fear of that high risk situation for sort of those of us that, you know, might not um, feel as comfortable doing it. So what do you what do you think drives that?
0: Well, I think somebody who comes to mind immediately is somebody like Dick Rutan, who has excelled in aviation in multiple ways. So like he says, even as a young boy, and Eileen Collins is a great example of, of this as well. Even as a young child, they knew they always wanted to fly and they didn't know what it was going to look like. And especially Dick Routine, he'll say, I always knew I was going to be a legend. I just didn't know how. So I think there's got to be some ego involved, but also there's got to be a lot of talent. I think they're driven by a desire to do something great, but also it's just like anybody who wants to be part of something big and we all find our niche. So maybe our niches is, is that we're very interested in flying. And it turns out we're very good at interviewing people and we do podcasts and And here you are, you know what I mean? And and that's how we make our mark and that's how we inspire people. But Dick, you know, said, I'm not sure how it's going to happen. He flew in Vietnam and he excelled and he was, I always forget what it's called, the super Saber society, secret Saber society, or, and he was a forward air controller. And He got shot down and he gets up and wipes the blood off and keeps on going anyway. So he excels there, but then he's not done. He comes home and he's like, Well, what's next? Hey, I have an idea. My brother's designing a plane that will fly around the world without refueling. Why don't I just do that? And I'm just like, Dick, weren't you afraid of dying? And he's like, There's no time for dying. We just got to get it done. And and then test press after test craft, and then somebody like Eileen Collins, who not only Didn't want to necessarily, she didn't care that she was female or male, that her gender didn't matter to her. She just knew, I want to be like Jackie Cochran. I want to fly. I want to do amazing things. And she was stealthy. She was silent the way she just got ahead. She just got to where she needed to be just by being brave and strong and a very, very talented pilot. And she was patient because even when she got turned down initially, she kept on going at it. But then to be the first female shuttle pilot twice, and then the first female shuttle commander. But then I think the thing that truly makes her unique is that she was the first person to fly the shuttle, command the shuttle after the Challenger exploded. Again, going back to that Apollo example, these folks just, they don't Always think about their impact and legacy. They just see the job and just know that they're the right person for it. I love it.
1: It's interesting as you're talking about sort of the importance of these lives really being able to facilitate inspiration. I feel like that is kind of what I'm really feeling like your mission is it's about allowing a platform or a place or sort of a vehicle for these lives and everything that they have done to then pass on. It's almost like just like passing it on to the other generations to build off of, right? So it's sort of a catalyst for inspiration, which is so awesome. Can you speak to a specific case that was surprising or that you feel like just the public has no idea about that you can share with us?
0: I love that question so much because it's Joe Angle. I cannot believe that more people do not know about Joe Angle. And I feel like there were a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of the Apollo guys that got lost, but then, and I'm embarrassed to say more of the hidden figures haven't been inducted. We hope to see more of those kind of behind the scenes folks. They haven't even been nominated, to be honest. So we're hoping that we'll have, members nominate these folks so we can uh, vote on them. But uh, Joe Engel has just been lost and I feel like he will be lost and, and Robin Olds will be lost. But I also think there are a lot of females out there, a lot of females that need recognition. And somebody like Jackie Cochran, who is inducted, it's a shame that more people don't know who she is because, I mean, for the Wasp alone, she's remarkable. One of my favorite things to say to people is that, you know, Jackie Cochran made several as in way more than 20 she earned a lot of aviation records through the NAA and the FAI in her career she actually has 14 records that are still have never that still has not been beat that's amazing i know it's remarkable everybody needs heroes we all need heroes and people don't have to be interested in aviation to be inspired by somebody who's done something great So if we can get the message out there that these people have done great things, you can do great things. Like, look at this person who came from a background like yours, who looks like you, who might be the same gender, the same culture, like whatever, a similar background, whatever. You can aspire to do great things. I don't want to say there's no why not. There's how do we get the lives of these people in front of kids? where it's most important and where the kids can be lifted by them.
1: It's really true that if our most impactful work is inspiring people to be great themselves, then highlighting individuals that have done that is, again, a catalyst for for people really figuring out what what they want to do and how they're going to be great because the world will be better for that.
0: Sylvia, who inspired you?
1: Well, it's super cliche, but Amelia Earhart always inspired me, especially as a kid, because I'll tell you, I saw my grandmother in her. And I always felt like if my grandmother was born under different circumstances, she would have been Amelia Earhart. Like she just she had the freckles, she looked like her. She was a really big horseback rider. And that was how I always felt like she channeled her love of quote unquote, flying was on horseback, but I felt like she had the same spirit. So I I always kind of have a soft place in my heart because of that, you know, supposed association. They're, you know, about the same era. And, you know, my grandmother was a bit younger. So I imagine that she knew about Amelia Earhart and was inspired by her. Like, I have no idea if that's true, but, you know, as a, she, you know, say she was, 10 11 12 13 and picked up the newspaper and like and just heard and saw Amelia Earhart so she definitely had that spirit. I've made up quite a bit of that narrative but as we do but that is kind of most inspiration but I can tell you I just hear, it's only recently that I've learned about the 13 women that Jackie Cochran sponsored the Mercury 13. And that blew me away. It blew me away that we didn't, as just common historical knowledge, know that 13 women were as qualified, if not more, than the men, and that just it hadn't been supported. And there's the complexity of Jackie Cochran behind that, just is a whole sort of story onto itself. There's a lot of history, and you know, we know so much of so much of it and there's just so much that we don't know and i think you're you're doing right is is the place where we can start to talk about that and start to talk about the things that we haven't been talking about and sort of the her story aspect of of history which is going to continue to inspire more people because it is more diverse
0: thank god wally funk went up into space and and got that story out right
1: yeah So let's segue into talking about the Hall of Fame and the partnership with PBS, the curriculum. It just rolled out. It's I've seen publicity about it, which is super exciting. So tell us what is driving this Steam focused initiative.
0: I'm so proud of this program. So during COVID, when lockdown happened, I remember sitting at my desk in March 2020, like everybody else thinking oh my gosh, we just closed. And it's not like we were in a different position because it's not like we were necessarily going to lose money because we don't charge admission anyway. But I was kind of lucky in that way, because whereas other people were scrambling for how they were going to pay for things, I was just scrambling with what are the things I can do that I'm able to do because the rest of the world is shut down in this way. And so I had had a conversation with uh, Sean O'Keefe about two, two and a half years ago, former NASA administrator, and he was the Secretary of the Navy under George uh, W. Bush, and he is a professor at Syracuse. And I was just really honored to have an hour and a half of his time and just pick his brain really about what was needed in an aviation education. And he said to me, Amy, if there's one thing I could tell you we need to get the kids younger. Everyone's focused on high school. Some are focused even on middle school. He's like, kids are already done. Kids are already done by that point. So I kept that kind of in my back pocket. It was a very impactful talk for me. One, because of his stature and his generosity of time, but also just the reality of what he he was saying. And I would kind of poke around every now and again to try to see if anybody was doing elementary age and curriculum in, in aviation. And there were a lot of steam opportunities, but I couldn't find anything that was aviation focused. During COVID, I started doing uh, webinars with uh, Greg Principato from the National Aeronautic Association. And one of our most successful was an education, education curriculum where we had Dr. John Langford tell us about the importance of early childhood education. And the problem with STEAM education for aviation kids is that there's always this assumption that if we um, have STEAM education, that kids will magically get to aviation, that we need to have education that aviation has come first. So therefore, that's a very long way of saying that our COVID response was reaching out to uh, the local PBS affiliate and say, hey, we have this idea. You have this idea. Let's combine our ideas. And that's what we did. So what we created is an aviation and aerospace-led, STEAM-based, multidisciplinary curriculum. Phase one is done. It's for grades one through three. Phase two, we're going to do grades four through six, and it will focus on sustainability in aviation. And then we're going to add phase three, which will be pre-K and kindergarten. So what we want to do with those is we want to connect from pre-K to seventh grade, have a continuous aviation and aerospace supported curriculum through those age groups and then build a consortium with AOPA and other entities that are teaching kind of the high school curriculum and build a pipeline so that we can attach it to industry on the other end and say, hey, industry, what are you looking for? What do you need? We need pilots. We need mechanics. We need this. We need that. We can tweak the curriculum as kids are coming up. And make sure we're exposing them to these ideas of, hey, you know what happens in a tower? Because industry might say we need ATC. So maybe we're saying like, oh, here's an interesting uh, aside for today. Let's talk about an air traffic control tower and what happens in there. And, And maybe they do an art project or it could be English because we're multidisciplinary. So it doesn't have to just be STEAM. We want them to have this full experience But I think the thing that I'm most excited about this curriculum is that the curriculum itself is great, but we also want to support the teachers, the school counselors, the school administrators by offering ongoing professional development in support of that quarterly professional development so that they uh, feel good about what they're teaching. We also want to offer a 1-800 number to teachers so that in real time, they can ask concept questions. I don't understand lift. I don't understand thrust. I don't even understand what this something that seems so front of mind for us doesn't make any sense to them. Who is Bessie Coleman? Because lots of you, you know, so if we're teaching about Bessie that day, we want to be able to answer those questions. So PBS has that for us. There's a 1-800 number that that teachers can use in real time. Additionally, I don't want to forget the caregivers. Our curriculum is going to be free to under-resourced schools. That means that this will be in the schools, the teachers will be supportive, but we also need the kids to have a champion. And we want that champion who may have never been in a plane, never been to an airport, think that their kid, there's no way that their kid or the, the child in their life could ever possibly break into this field. We want them to know that not only this can happen, but we're going to take you to the airport. We're going to show you around the tower. We're going to show you what space is like. We want the kid the students, the teachers, the caregivers to feel completely supported in this aviation and aerospace world. And we believe that by doing this in this way, that we can create a bigger, better workforce, and it's going to push aviation forward.
1: Oh, I think it's brilliant. It's big, and it's brilliant, and it's comprehensive. And I think you really tap into all of the different aspects that will go into inspiring kids of all ages. I mean, I think it's a both and, right? It's high school and younger. And I always like to advocate for adults too. I just think that it is so important. I personally have gone into my children's classroom as a pilot and I felt very unequipped, quite frankly. I would love, my kids' teachers have been so excited to have me come in and talk about these fundamentals but there's been no follow-up after that and having a curriculum like this accessible, supported, and, you know, just this version already, and I'm sure there will be iterations of it, but what a powerful program. I think I'm really, really excited for this project. It's actually the main reason that I heard about you and when I heard about that and you being spearhead you spearheading this project, I was like, we ha- we definitely have to talk and I'm so glad that you're doing this. So where do you think aviation is going? I think that entities
0: like Magni X in Seattle that are working on electric aircraft that will take people fewer people short distances, but not have the drain on the environment. I think that those things, that's amazing. And then for our longer travel, I think the future is supersonic. I think boom is going to dominate the world, what Blake Schull has come up with and what the team's doing there. I think in terms of, of people, I think it's thrilling to know what we can do commercially with space travel. I mean, who would have ever thought, I would love to get into the brains of Neil Armstrong and and these folks and say, what do you think of this? I mean, I think his kids would say, Amy, dad would say it's awesome. But I'm just like, we're going to Mars, Sylvia. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, it still sort of blows my mind. I'm still trying to cope with life on this earth. so. (laughs) So Amy, the class of 2022 inductees at the National Aviation Hall of Fame have just been announced. And I'm hoping we can spend some time talking about the three women, three of the five that were included.
0: Super excited about this class because in the first time in our history, we have five people who are being inducted, three of which are women, which is outstanding. Uh, If we take the class of 2020, for example, that was a little bit more uh, typical, that was we had a group of five and one female. And sometimes we don't even get that. So it shows progress in our board of nominations. It also uh, shows progress in long overdue recognition for females in this aviation world. So on many levels, it's just embarrassing that that folks like Willa Brown haven't been inducted yet, I got to say. So I love that this is happening.
1: Let's dive into Willa Brown. I'd love to hear more about her.
0: Willa Brown was the first African American female to earn a pilot's license in the U.S., and this is important for other reasons. But she was the first African American female to run for Congress, the first African American across the board to become a civil air patrol officer. This is my most fun thing about Willa Brown: is that she actually trained over 200 Tuskegee Airmen. While not allowed to fly in combat herself, she was allowed to train men who went into combat.
1: Wow. Okay. So this is circa when?
0: So she was alive 1906 and she died in 1992. So she had a nice long life. Wow. Yeah. I actually talked to her nephew and just a really impactful, generous. He described her as the type of person who you wouldn't know she was a big deal until you knew she was a big deal. One of the nieces or nephews, because Willow Brown didn't have any children, but one of the nieces or nephews might say something like, I sure wish I could go to college. And then mysteriously, the money would appear for, you know, she would do these good and random and beautiful things. She was very generous and very low key, but very impactful. a force in nature. Mm -hmm. I love that.
1: Yeah, you know, it makes me so curious about the story behind everything she did, knowing Born in 1906, being a black girl and learning how to fly. Bessie Coleman, of course, couldn't get her license in the US, so she had to go to France, and that was in the 20s. And so it must have been just on the heels of that era. And just it just reminds me also of the path that is slowly, slowly built you know, one woman at a time, and then we each get a little farther, it's amazing. And then by seeing models, and we, I think that boosts us. I think, you know, when there are firsts, that is when there isn't necessarily a model. And that takes a lot of work, just all that friction to get to be a first in anything. But then once there is a first, I feel like it sort of greases, greases the way that but yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about all the stories behind how Willa Brown ever got as accomplished as she did. And then, of course, the just the human part behind who she was as a as a person and a generous soul and and the sacrifices that she had to make to do that. I'm sure they were great.
0: I mean, imagine if you wanted to fly so badly and you sacrificed things and you made it happen. Imagine Bessie Coleman got so good at her craft. That she was able to say, I will only fly in your show if I've complied to desegregated audiences. Imagine how much a better pilot she would have been had she not had to fight while she was flying. If folks like Willow Brown and, and Bessie Coleman could have just flown and just practiced and been a Patty Wagstaff, been a Jackie Cochran, you know, just been able to excel without fighting.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so what's the your favorite story about Willa Brown?
0: It really is the Tuskegee part. It really really is. I just it, it blows my mind that she is responsible for that kind of training. I mean clearly we have the wasp as well and how they trained army air corps pilots and but the Tuskegee had such an uphill battle. Willa Brown's battle was twofold and the Tuskegee Airmen were able to become because of her, or 200 of them were. I can't get over it. I can't get over I wish I had as much character in my pinky as somebody like Willa Brown had.
1: Let's talk about Margaret Hamilton. She is with us today. She is still alive. Tell us what we need to know about Margaret Hamilton.
0: What Margaret Hamilton did for aviation is so beyond my comprehension. <laughs> it's hard to talk about. She was the person who coined the term software engineer. She was with NASA and MIT, and she actually came up with computer programming that they were able to use as part of the Apollo mission and other missions. The way it's loosely described in the best of my not-scientific ability is the the go-no-go decision, the priority decisions, she actually slowed them so that the astronauts would have a moment to consider whether or not a trigger was real or not. So all that was happening by computer, but there was still, unlike today, there was still a lot of human interaction. You press a button, you got a response, you had to react to the response. I don't even want to misspeak here, but she helped make those uh, critical decisions and write that code. So there's a famous picture of Margaret Hamilton that anybody can Google at any time. The code that she wrote for the Apollo program is taller than me, and I'm five two. <laughs> After the space programs that she worked on, because there were multiple, she actually went on to found found businesses. Like she's a, a very um, savvy business owner.
1: So someone we need to know. I know. Yeah. The third inductee of 2022 is Geraldine or Jerry Mock. Tell us about Jerry Mock.
0: I love pictures of Jerry Mock because she totally looks like a 50th housewife. She has that kind of Martha King look about her, like, like you'd see her unassuming, but she was such a badass. Yeah, she was complete badass. She was the first woman to fly or the first American pilot to fly around the world. And she flew a Cessna 180 called the Spirit of Columbus and uh, just absolutely outstanding. And in that, because she was the first to do that, she has a whole list of FAI awards because she was the first American to the Pacific, the Atlantic, you know, oceans and mountains and stuff like that. So you look at all her achievements and it's huge, but really she was just a very accomplished pilot and then a huge advocate. Flying.
1: Just cool. Yeah. It's interesting that we have these three women who have made a serious impact in very different ways women in aviation and aviation as a standalone. I wonder if you have thought of any through lines between these women and previous women in other classes at the National Aviation Hall of Fame. These three
0: women, something that they have in common with not every Hall of Fame entrinee, but many of them, what they have in common with like Eileen Collins and Jackie Cochran and Patty Wagstaff is that they all have significant firsts. Like sometimes an entrinee has a series of impacts, not necessarily a first, but just impacts and skill sets. Like Bill Dana, for example, has Just a fantastic test pilot, not necessarily a first, but just very, very skilled. These three women have first, they were the first, you know, first to fly around the world, first to create aerospace programming, first to receive pilot's license, like Jackie Cochran, who was the first female to break the sound barrier, like Eileen Collins, who was the first shuttle pilot and first shuttle commander. They all had very significant and impactful firsts. And like Patty Wagstaff, many of them have firsts that go beyond gender. They were the, like Patty Wagstaff, one that was the first female to win the International Aerobatic Championship, but she won that male or female. I love that. And I love the fact that another thing that they all have in common when you read about them, when you learn about them, The thing they all say, they didn't do it to advance gender. They don't do it because they're women. They do it because they're pilots. And they do it because they have a love of aviation. Or, you know, I guess I shouldn't say they're all pilots because we are not all pilots. But they all had a reason to advance aviation in aerospace. And they all did it. I love
1: that. They were all driven by calling or a cause that was not about the outcome of an award. Even being a first, but that was sort of an unintended consequence of them following their dreams.
0: That's right. Sylvia, whenever you interact with all these amazing females that you interact with on, on this podcast, they're not doing it for fame or glory ever. They're not doing it. Why are they all flying? Why do you fly?
1: It's a passion. And it's also, there's something about the intensity. That's required. I think that when women have outlets that are intense and require total focus, that it offsets the other parts of our lives, which come with a lot of obedience, <laughs> if that's not too strong of a word, and domesticity, and keeping all the balls in the air on a granular level. that is totally fine if life ends or life just that's just life and that is can be very satisfying in and of itself to to operate on that level. And I think a large population of women, for whatever reason need to offset that with something that is intense and their own and requires them to be in a sense of flow. Meaning isolated from all of those other things, losing themselves in something that is not asking more of them, but kind of coming from within. So I do think about this a lot. And I think, you know, my fascination with the when women fly as a phenomenon is not industry specific. It's about women who have that spirit of flight, as I call it, and manifest it in different ways, often simply because of the circumstances of where they were born and the opportunities they have, you know, whether it's riding horses or skiing or running or flying or paragliding or surfing, scuba diving, all of these things to do them at a certain level. Really require you to be present and to confront fear and move through it with it and get to the other side. And often that gives the energy that is then needed to channel into the other parts of life, which are awesome, but are a little bit more or a lot more demanding and a lot more interdependent with other people and beings and nests and homes and, you know, all the other practicalities. So what I see in women like these three, like Willa and Margaret and Jerry and the other women that have made it into the Hall of Fame is their accomplishments, absolutely, and the stories that we know. But I also just get really curious about all the things that we don't know. And I get curious about their support systems because, of course, they couldn't have done any of this alone. None of us can really do very much alone. So what did that look like? What did the sacrifices look like? What did the setbacks look like? You know, how did they pick up from those? And were there some that they didn't pick up from? And, you know, sometimes I think women also have unresolved trauma that they channel into things of intensity. And I'm sure that Willa Brown, anyone with dark skin who's growing up in the United States at that time, you know, has all sorts of capital T trauma. I just wonder more. I wonder more and I wanna know more. And I, I find that this podcast platform can help to provide a platform for other people to get curious and someone to like hear these names and want to dig deeper, then I think that's really amazing.
0: I think that's brilliant. I think that's so good. Now I'm like, when we start our domestic life, do we lose ourselves, right? And then we crave something to hyper-focus on, like running or flying, whatever it is. But as I look through the names of the female in Chinese, the Hall of Fame, Well, LeBron was married three times. I don't know Margaret Hamilton's. I don't know if she was married. I think Jerry Mock was married, but I won't mention other, but like others that are still married have husbands or spouses or partners that stay at home and that, or they're completely divorced and on their own. Like, it's crazy. I almost want to do a study now to see what their background is.
1: Yeah, and I think it also like normalizes that, it's hard. How has your job, which has increased in intensity over the years that you've been in your role, how has that affected you?
0: I miss running. I miss marathon training. It's impossible to do this job and um, continue to run marathons and continue doing ultras, but much like probably a pilot who, whenever you get into the flight deck and you are getting ready to taxi the runway, you have to shut down everything else and you're only focusing on the flying. Even whenever you're up above the world and looking down, you don't necessarily have to think about feeding the dog or mowing the lawn or making dinner. You're flying. You're enjoying the beautiful creation around you. And I think that this role, I love it. I love being a person who gets to touch history. I'm not a part of the history. I just get to witness history very close up. I love that, but it's a lot of work. I struggle balance work-life balance constantly. I just was abroad for a week. And the only problem with going to an amazing country and spending a lot of money to travel abroad for a week is that I only had a week. Why not two weeks? Because I can't leave that long, right? I can't. I think that sometimes the Europeans have it right, that they have longer vacation time. And then they also have time for family time, whether that's family leave, um, so that you can either really focus on your family with that kind of leave or focus on vacation with that kind of leave. And then you can truly be present in your job because you feel as though the other parts are in balance. I am completely out of balance. And I think a lot of women in roles like
1: mine feel that way. And it's hard to regroup without taking a real break. Yeah, I think it really is. And it's hard to know how to interject that in our present system in the United States because we're so measured by the outcome and production. And so we think that when we stop working, things are going to fall apart and we're not going to produce as much. Amy? thank you. Is there anything else that we need to know about 2022 or these inductees or anything else you'd like to share?
0: I would just like to encourage the women listening to this and the men listening to this to please nominate. Please, please, please. If you know a special pilot, aviator, artist, anybody who's impacted aviation with their life, please nominate them for induction because we're never going to have the full, world of aviation unless people tell us about those people so that we can get them elevated and immortalized here in the Hall of Fame. So we want that. So please, please, please.
1: And how do we nominate?
0: If you go to www.nationalaviation.org and click on the nominate button, there'll be instructions there. It's actually very, very simple.
1: Great. What does the board do with the nominations?
0: So the board of nominations, every June, we start this big, long process of where we do rounds and rounds of voting and we weaning down and voting and looking at and we came up with a new system. So it makes it a lot easier and less work for the for the uh, board of nominations. I'm also looking for board of nominations voters. So I'm always interested to hear about people with interesting backgrounds who who may want to vote on the board of nominations as well.
1: Yeah, and then it just it repeats every year. Yep, right on. Well, Amy, thanks for your dedication to the aviation, energy, and spirit, and just also widening the definition of what aviation means in this country. I think that it actually can be a bigger catch basin than people often think. There are a lot of different ways that people can be integrated into aviation, and it's a pretty exciting field, especially the supersonic.
0: That's right, boom, I love it.
1: All right, Amy, thank you so much, as always, to be continued.
0: Well, thank you for having me.
1: You can't beat the energy and enthusiasm Amy Spoward has for her role as CEO of the National Aviation Hall of Fame. Whatever you are passionate about, Go for it. That's what I'm taking away from this hour. Believe in the transformative power of story. When you share this episode, you will have amplified a story that just might spark a pivotal moment for someone. If this resonates with you, leave us a review. I know you've heard this countless times, but it really helps us distribute to a wider audience. Okay. The location of this recording is on the traditional and ancestral land of the Abenaki people of the dawn. If for any reason you want to reach me, you email at hello at womenfly.com. Okay, that's a wrap. I send you love and light and strength and flight, however that shows up for you today. The world needs women who fly. Let's keep learning together. Be bold, be brave, and fly. I'll see you next time.